Isaiah 42.1, King James Version. For, behold my servant, whom I upbehold, mine elect and warm, my soul delighted. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles.
like to welcome everybody to Sunday School. Like I said, it's good to be here. It's good to see the little kids and um, watch them have fun. And it's always fun to, you know, see them dance and sing. But one thing I'm glad for is that uh, one day the Lord will get a hold of them and uh, he'll show them where they need to be. And I'm thankful for our parents that brought their kids to Sunday School. It's great to see everybody. Uh, I'm just excited and enjoyed the revival. And uh, Cooper's done awesome. And I'm looking forward to hearing him preach again. Uh, we'll ask Chase to dismiss us to uh, Sunday School. Good job, Barry. to be here this morning. Appreciate everybody for being here. Desire your prayers. We're going to be in John chapter 4. Um, one of the most common lessons in the Bible. Jesus here is, meets with a Samaritan woman at the, at the well. So we all know that story. We've all heard it. We've all heard it taught and preached and sung about. As a teacher, it's always challenging because with any lesson, you want to bring out something new. I always desire to create something that would get people thinking about the lesson or about the scripture maybe that they haven't thought about before. I guess that's just, you know, I mean, I want God to give me something so we can try to learn something. That's why we're studying this. So uh, my thoughts today, I want to start with where is this geographically? And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about the Bible history of this specific area. Uh, I, I did quite a bit of study there, and, and it was a blessing to me. So I hope it's a blessing to you. Certainly, we want to get into this lesson. Uh, <clears throat> we want to talk a little bit about who are the Samaritans. And uh, I guess the third point that I'd like to get to, if we've got time, is uh, the significance of this water pot. You know, uh, and Neil Wireman III preached on that not too long ago uh, and made some really good points that uh, the woman left her water pot 
and went back into the city. And so I'd like to talk about what's the significance of that water pot. Can we learn anything from that? And uh, then uh, lastly, uh, we get down to the last uh, few verses. Hopefully we've got time for all of that. Uh, some good, good material in here, so I desire your prayers. And certainly, as always, desire your comments, questions. If you have something, we'll certainly try to answer it. So this takes place as Jesus is traveling. Uh, he had to go through an area called Samaria. And uh, the Samaritans were really looked on as outcasts by the Jewish people. And uh, under the law, the Jews were not to marry outside of the Jewish faith. That was one of the things under the law, and, and they, the Jews uh, followed that. Well, the Samaritans had married folks that were outside of the Jewish faith. So that was one thing that really created a problem. Another thing that created a problem for the Jews was that the Samaritans believed some of their Bible, but not all of their Bible. They believed the first four or five books, but then they kind of cut it off there, and they said, well, from there on, we don't really like that. The Jews had holy places that they believed that they should look to and pray and, and, and worship, and the Samaritans, not surprisingly, because they didn't believe all of the same scripture that the Jews did, they created them a place closer to home uh, in a mountain that was close there to where they were, and they worshiped there. And so there were a lot of uh, religious and political differences between the Jews and the Samaritans. All right? So let's think about that from our standpoint today. You know, as a country, the United States of America, and I'm glad to be here, and I appreciate the freedoms that we have, but we have conflicts with people from other countries, uh, and so it's okay, you know, if we go to war, it's okay to hate those folks, right? If we're at war with them and their country against our country, I mean, I mean, I know what the Bible says not to hate, you know, but I mean, during that time frame, it, it's okay, right? We can set that aside while we're at war, right? It's really not. And obviously, he's trying to be sarcastic a little bit and make a point. But um, so that's kind of the that's the situation we've got here. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans so much that they really, uh, as I understand it, wouldn't even talk to them much. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. Tried to avoid them. Um, you think in your own life, somebody that you've had a conflict with or that you don't care for a whole lot, there may be somebody that when you see them. You'd rather just avoid them than to talk to them. That's kind of how the Jews were with the Samaritans. Okay. So Jesus and his, his disciples are traveling, and uh, they had to go through Samaria. And so they get there, and there's a town there called Sychar, which is a, a town in Samaria. And that town also has another name, and another name is Shisham. Neither of those may ring a bell to you, but I want to talk about Sychar or Shisham, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's also some, at least one place in the Bible is Shosham. So where is this? Well, it's 30 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay, so that's, that's a lot of walking. And we've talked about, they, I mean, they, they walked then and how far they could travel in a day. Um, 
It's 30 miles northeast of where Tel Aviv is now. All right. So uh, if we think about the places that currently we see development happen, if you've got I-75 and you've got an interchange at I-75, if you go down to Dayton, 70 and 75 cross right there, it's a, it's a crossing of two pretty major thoroughfares, and there's quite a bit built up right there pretty close to that. I guess another one that we've got close to here is maybe 30 uh, and 75, 33 uh, down by Walpaw and 75. So when you've got a crossroads, you've got people traveling two different directions, and those two places meet, it's a pretty busy area. That's where this was. Um, there, it was the primary thoroughfare north and south was right here, and also the primary thoroughfare east to west crossed right here at Sychar or Shisham. And so, uh, not surprisingly, it was also the location of this well because water is very important. Uh, and historically, that well had been there for a long time. Jacob had, had dug that well there a long, long time ago. So let's talk about some of the things here that happened historically at Shesham, and then we'll get on into the lesson. Um, I'm not going to go to every one of these scriptures, but I'll probably go to just a few of them. Um, so in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, God and Abraham had a discussion about Abraham's seed and the land that God was going to give to Abraham. That happened at Shisham, right? That happened right here within a stone's throw of where this well is at, right? So that's a pretty important uh, thing that takes place uh, biblically. Abraham lived in this area. Uh, Jacob obviously lived here. Jacob dug the well. One that really blesses me, and I want to go read this. This is in uh, Joshua chapter 24 verse 32 and the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt buried they at Shisham so uh, we've heard some great messages about those bones being carried uh, and they didn't leave them in Egypt where that they died but they, they requested that those bones be taken uh, and so very significant to me that Joseph's bones are buried here at Shisham, Sychar, same place. Um, in the old Bible, there's a, uh, there's in Genesis, I think it is, uh, or maybe it's in Deuteronomy, there is a, a discussion about, uh, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, and there was a, uh, really a ceremony, if you want to call it that, but there was Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and half of the tribes went up on Mount Gerizim, and half of the tribes went up on Mount Ebal, and there was a valley right in the middle, and the priests were in that valley, and the priests would, would call out a blessing, and the tribes that were on Mount Gerizim would answer amen, and then they would call out a curse, and the tribes that were up on Mount Ebal would answer amen. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal in this valley are right here. Sheshem is right here in the valley. That's where this is. And so uh, some really, to me, significant biblical points and, and uh, 
wonderful things took place right here where that this well is located. Just a couple more I want to uh, tell you about. Uh, Joshua made a covenant with Israel, and he did that at Shisham. And that's also in the book of Joshua. When Israel was divided, their northern capital was Shisham. Uh, and uh, the Samaritans then worshipped in this Mount Gerizim. So there's a lot of things that you can understand took place and happened right here in this area. So there's these two mountains, and there's this valley right here, and it's a crossroads. All right. And so Jesus and his disciples are traveling through here, and uh, they're getting ready. They're, they're in Samaria. They're right here by this town. And his disciples head into town uh, to get some food. And Jesus sits down on the well side uh, and waits. So it looks like that he's waiting for his disciples to come back. And I'm sure when they were walking in, they may, maybe even looked back and thought, well, he's, he's going to sit there and wait on us. Maybe they had some discussion to that effect. But he was waiting on somebody else. And so that brings us to where our lesson starts today. So fourth chapter of John, we're going to be in, starting in verse number 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So right away, I think she's probably surprised that he speaks to her. Why is he speaking to me? The Jews and the Samaritans, you know, they look down on us. Why is he talking to me? And he didn't just talk to her. He's asking her to do something for him. Give me a drink. Verse 8. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. So the woman answers him here in verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she acknowledges this right away. She's saying, you're, you're a Jew. You folks don't even like us. And you're asking, you know, you're asking me for a drink. Why would you do this? Um, trying to put myself into her position. If I'm her, I'm probably a bit sarcastic. That's just my nature. If you talk to me much, you know that sarcasm is, is my primary uh, way of communicating. Um, and that can be bad sometimes. But um, so, you know, I can just see her going, why are, you, why are you asking me for a drink for? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and you're asking me for a drink? Um, I don't know what her involvement or exchange had been with other Jews but I can suppose a little bit based upon this first thing she says here. My guess is it had been negative. All right. Do you know anybody in your own personal life that, that you deal with periodically? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's you know somebody you work for that thinks they're better than you. I know some folks like that. I deal with them on a regular basis. And sometimes it's because they've been elected judge. Okay, everybody knows I'm a lawyer. And it's always interesting to me when a new judge gets elected. And all lawyers talk about this. Some judges go on the bench 
and they are the exact same person that they were before they got elected. And we all go, that's good. You know, we know what we're dealing with. Some judges get elected and their head goes, you know, they think they're really something. Well, that's not just with judges. That's with, with all people, you know. Some people get promoted, and now all of a sudden they really think they're something. Some people come into some money or have some money, and they really think they're something. Think they're better than you, all right? How do you like dealing with those folks? I, you know, I don't care dealing with them very much. Uh, I don't know about you. I think we're probably all in the same boat. So that's where this woman, that's, that's the... That's the, the baggage, I guess, that she brings to this conversation. That's her experience. That's where she had been. These folks think they're better than me. The point of the why they think they're better is probably irrelevant. It's just a bad place to be. Uh, we've got to be very careful, and it's easy to do, but we've got to be very careful for whatever reason not portraying or feeling it first of all we shouldn't feel that way but secondly certainly we shouldn't portray that or let that come across as the way we feel about people do you think that you can really get to people and help them if if the impression is that you think you're better than them it's hard to help somebody if that's what they think about you okay and so we need to be very careful about that and Christ was, throughout his ministry, did a number of things uh, to try to make that clear to his disciples, not to, you know, not to go down that road. So um, that's, that's what she brought to this conversation. He's a Jew. They all think they're better than us. Why is he asking me for a drink? Does anybody have any comments or questions before we move on? There's a difference in holding a line of what we believe in and being judgmental. And there's also an issue that comes about when you live a Christian life, your life is going to uh, convict people around you that aren't living a life like that. All right. And so some people, even if you're not judgmental, are going to say, well, you're being judgmental. I've had that said to me, and I'm like, well, I never said anything to you. I never said anything to you about drinking. I just didn't go to the bar and drink with you, but I never said anything to you about it. Why are you mad at me? Okay? So, we, I mean, we've all probably been there. Uh, so, uh, you know, and we have to be careful from a, uh, even uh, from a religion standpoint, and, and maybe that might be the most, you know, well, my religion's better than yours, or we don't see this the same. Okay, uh, it, it's not about the religion; it's about the salvation. 
so a good point. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, then thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So there's scripture after scripture where it talks about that Christ is the living water, and he's the, that water that bubbleth up, and he's a spring, and he's a, a well. Okay, And so he's telling her, uh, you're missing the point here. Uh, if, if you knew who I was and knew your need and recognized it, you would be asking me for something. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? So she's looking at it naturally. Still doesn't comprehend exactly what he's, he's telling her. She's got this pot with her. We learn that later. But she's got a pot that she was going to hook onto probably a rope or some way to let that down into the well and draw the water back up. And she's looking at him going you got you don't have that what are you talking about art thou greater than our father Jacob which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle so now she's starting to understand a little bit and she's going well I'm a descendant out of Jacob he gave us this well so I'm important what are you talking about don't be criticizing me Okay, and so it's very easy when somebody gets convicted, looking at your life through the gospel at church, you're trying to witness to them, it's very easy for them to go, well, I go to church. Okay, or my, my grandfather was a, was a minister at such and such church. Or, you know, my, you know, my mom played the organ over here, so I'm okay. This isn't about who your family is or was. And it's not about what your family did or didn't do. All right, It's about you. Have you accepted this man, Christ? And so he goes on now to talk to her. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Now I can see him probably motion. Probably pointing down at the well. That's how I, I mean, I'm just thinking about this conversation, and he's now <clears throat> trying to distinguish between the spiritual water that's more important and this natural water. So he's probably gesturing. Anybody that drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he really here, if you want to talk about it this way, it's where the rubber meets the road. Okay, He says, I'm not talking about natural H2O. You know, I'm talking about spiritual water, the real life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she's still, at this point, I think, thinking natural water, not spiritual water. But their, their conversation goes on. Now, our lesson doesn't cover verses 16 through 27, so I'm not going to try to do that today. I don't want to run out of time. 
but they have an extended conversation here where he talks to her <clears throat> about her religion and about the Jews' religion, and he more importantly talks to her about her life and the things that have been going on in her life and things that he wouldn't know unless he was the Christ. Christ will speak to each one of us in a way to let us know that's the Christ. That's the Lord. He speaks like no man else speaks. All right, And it's common because he speaks to every one of us, but it's also unique because he speaks to us each individually. So he has this conversation here with this woman over the next you know, 10, 12 verses. And it gets down to the point where she really realizes this is the Messiah. This is, this is my opportunity here. All right. And she accepts it. She gets saved right there at the well. All right. Best day in her life. All right. So if she, at that point, gets her pot, lowers it in the well, gets her some water, and goes back to town, she's still saved. Grace comes before the works. So she got the grace. She's saved. She's going to heaven. So let's just all, let's call church off this morning. Let's just go watch the ball games and we'll go out and eat. You know, when it's a little warmer, we'll go to the lake. Because we got salvation. So that's all good, right? We've got something to do. But she's got salvation. But now we have something to do. Well, what do we have to do? Well, Hebrews 12. Let's go there. I don't have it marked, but I want to go there. I want to go there and read it. Hebrews 12 and 1. Now, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, and I, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. I know there's discussion on that, but um, so, but so we, we go through chapter 11 and talking about all these, you know, saints and heroes of the faith and we get to chapter 12 so and, th and this is two people that are saved okay this is the church these are people that have been born again wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight comma and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race which is set before us. So, we've been saved. You're a child of God. What do we need to do? There, well, this says there's, and I, I said comma because sometimes people run that together, and I wanted to make a distinction here. We need to lay aside the weight and the sin. Two separate things. Okay, everything that's a weight may not be a sin. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, good functions at the church. Let's say we got a breakfast out here, all right? Good function, going to raise money for church camp. That could be a weight, all right? It's not a sin. Nothing wrong with getting together, and, I mean, unless you're gluttony. And according to Denny Crow, gluttony is eating more than you want. 
And Denny said he never ate more than he wanted. I just had to throw that in there. Loved Denny Crow. So, so what am I trying to get at? There are things in our life that are weights. This scripture tells us, set those aside and go run with patience the race that's set before you. Okay, so what does that, how does that impact this woman at the well? So let's see what she did. Verse 28, the woman left her water pot. She left it. So now let's talk about water pot. I told you that was one of the things I wanted to, to discuss a little bit. What's it signify? Okay, I think in this case, it signifies a weight. All right, now, so that you understand, a water pot may have been her most valuable possession. If it wasn't her most valuable, it was certainly a valuable possession. I don't know that she, when she went back, because she did go back, and we're going to talk about that in a minute if we don't run out of time, but when she went back, I don't know. She probably picked that pot back up and continued to use it, all right? But at this exact moment, what she's got on her heart just got saved. I met the Messiah. What do I want to do? We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brother. All of a sudden, some of these people that she may have been having a real disagreement with, people that were judging her for her lifestyle, and we all know that, won't go into that, but people back in Sychar, her little town here, that she was living around and knew her history, all of a sudden, instead of feeling judgmental and hatred and maybe a little jealous about what they... She's got love in her heart. I need to go tell these folks that the Messiah is sitting out here on the well. They need to come meet him too. So she sets aside the weight leaves the water pot, all right? What things in our lives do we need to set aside and go try to get our people down to the well side? Do you have things? Does something jump in your mind? You know? It could be, it could be doing service. Service is good. Uh, you know, I was talking about the, the breakfast out in the fellowship hall. Those are good. They, they raise money, good things. If it comes between you and really serving God, then it becomes a weight. All right? It could be a possession. It could be a relationship. There's, it doesn't say that it's only physical possessions that you hold. It could be a phone or what you access on your phone. But it could be your mindset. We need whatever that is. We need to identify it. Well, how do we do that? Well, pray about it, and God will let you know. But we need to set that water pot aside. Don't let it be weighting you down. And get on into town and talk to your people and tell them the Messiah is down here at the well side. 
Does anybody have anything that you want to add to this? Do you? I mean, is there something you want to talk about this water pot? I just thought it was so interesting to me. I'd never considered it with with Hebrews and it being a weight, but for her at this moment, it was a weight. Now that doesn't mean she's never going to need natural water again. I hope I've made that clear. She's going to have to go back to that same spot and draw water and going to probably need that pot later. But at that moment, it wasn't the most important thing. Anybody have any comments on that? Yeah, she was excited. That's good, Don. Absolutely. Remember how you were when you got saved? You wanted to go tell everybody? Yeah. And then you were shocked that some of them said, what does saved mean? You know, <laughs> I remember going to school and telling some kids, and they were like, saved from what? You know, they didn't know. I was just trying to tell them what I had. And they were like, saved from what? Is that a good thing? Yeah. What's your water pot? Do you, have, do you have one? Do you need to set it aside? And the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. All right. So <clears throat> I taught this before when I taught this a year or two ago. But I want to make this point. We skip here again from 31 down to 38. But Christ is sitting here on the well, and his disciples come out of the city, and they see him talking to this woman, and she's leaving and going back into the city. All right, so he has a conversation with the disciples. So we're going to set it up this way. I was going to walk around here, but I don't think you can hear me. I, I don't want to do it, so I'll just do it from up here. But if, if this bench here is the well, all right, Christ is sitting on the well. And let's say the, the entry door is back there at the back of the church. That's where Sychar is at. So his disciples are walking this way. And they walk up to him, and he's sitting right here on the bench. So they're looking at him this way, and they're talking to him. She goes off and goes to Sychar, talks to a bunch of people, and they all start coming this direction. The disciples can't see him is what I'm getting at. They're looking at Christ. And he's looking here talking to them, but behind them, he can see what's happening. Which he already knew what was going to happen, but he can see it. And he sees these people leaving Sychar and heading for the well to him and the disciples. And he's talking to them here, and he's telling them, you know, about the harvest. And he said, yeah, if I mention the harvest to you, you're going to say, yeah, in four months we'll have the harvest. Thinking about in four months would be the time for the natural food to be harvested he said say not that it's in four months he said the fields are white and ready to harvest and the disciples are standing here looking this way at him and I can just see him going what is he talking about they've just been into Sychar bought some food probably didn't have a very good conversation with anybody because those people in there don't like them either okay so, but they needed some food. So they bought some food and they come back out and they're thinking, man, let's get out of here. We've been here long enough. And Jesus is sitting there on the well. He says, the harvest is ripe. The fields are white. And I can just see the disciples kind of shaking their head going, what's he talking about? And then he says, look, 
and they turn around and they see this group of people from Samaria, from Sychar, leaving town and coming out to the well to find out about this man named Jesus. Do you think their minds were blown? My mind would have been blown if I was one of the disciples. I would have been saying, how does he do that? How does he do that? But there it was. They were coming out to him. I, I just see this in my mind, and I just, it absolutely has to be the way that that unfolded. Um, and I think they were just astonished. So does anybody have any comments on that? We'll, we'll work on it down these last few verses. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman who testified, he told me that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. So they stay. I mean, he want, they want him to stay. I mean, they have a revival that breaks out. All right, you talk about a spontaneous revival. They stopped to get a drink of water, and revival broke out. He stayed for two days. That's revival. And many more believed because of his own work. So she goes in and talks to him. I want to make this point. She goes in and talks to him, and many people believed right here. All right. Okay. Well, yeah, she's, I can see she's changed, and she's really serious about this. That must be the guy. Let's, let's right here. Let's go out and, and see what this is about. When I was a boy, mom and dad brought me to Sunday school. I believed right here. If you ask me, yep, Jesus was born of a virgin and went and died on the cross and got up on the third. I mean, I knew all the stories. Talked to the woman down by the well. That was really cool. I knew it all right here. All right. Then I got introduced to Jesus myself. By the gospel. All right. They came out and got introduced to the man. And many believed from right here. They really got saved. All right. So that's the difference here we're talking about. Many believed from here, and then they came out, and then many believed from here. They got saved. So that's the difference here. That's when it's talking about many more believed because of his own word. That's what it's talking about. They met him, and they believed from right here. I've got a question for you. We've talked about the Samaritans, and we've talked about them being outcast, considered by the Jews. Christ obviously loved them and knew that their soul was just as important as a Jewish soul. Each soul is important, all right? But still yet, it's the Samaritans. So I want to leave you with a question this week over in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 and behold a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying master what shall I do to inherit eternal life he said unto him what is written in the law how readest thou let's jump on down Verse 30, And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, 
and wounded him and departed him, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, and when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So you know the rest of the story. The Samaritan is signified is signifying Christ. That's who this story is talking about. Why would Christ use a parable and use these dirty, rotten, scoundrel Samaritans that don't believe all the Bible, worship in the wrong place, aren't politically aligned with uh, Jerusalem and Israel, why would he use one of those people to signify himself in this story? Priest sounds like a pretty good person. I mean, that's a you know that's a religious person. You know, Levite, man, they had some status back under the law. The Levites were important. It was the Levites that carried the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, you, that was a hard job, but it was important. Why wouldn't he use one of them to represent himself in this story? I'm going to leave you with this. So think about that. So I saw a video, and some of you may have heard me say this already this week. I know Mom and Dad did. I saw a video this week. Preacher, it was on Facebook, just a little 60-second video. Preacher said he would really like to get to the point where he could talk with that thief that was hanging on the cross that accepted Christ. He said, man, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with that guy. Because I'd like to know about his experience when he got to the pearly gates and the angel said, I don't see any record of you ever being baptized. And he says, no. I don't see any record of you attending Sunday school. No. I don't see any record of you teaching or doing any deeds or doing this or that or leading anybody to Christ. Well, how do you feel about the scriptures? Don't really know much about the scriptures. Never read that any. And the angel saying to him, now this is obviously humorous, I don't really think it happens exactly like this, but makes such a point. The angel saying to this thief, what are you doing here? And the thief says, I don't know. That man on the middle cross said I could come. We get, we get tied up and a lot of other things. And they can be good things. But they can become weights. But the most important thing is, did that man on the middle cross say you could come? You're dismissed.